what happens when your city sees a population increase of 34% in a matter of years? Jam-packed streets? Higher crime? How about increased urination in the alleys and byways of the city that was causing a public health hazard? Tonight, we dive into the forgotten history, maybe you should have stayed forgotten, of Cincinnati's public urinal crisis and the inventions that alleviated the nostrils and the bladders of the Queen City populace. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and along with me are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. You can follow us on social media at SinCabinetCurio on Twitter and at CincyCabinetOfCuriosities on Instagram. We're dying to hear your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. So please send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join and share your stories on our Facebook group, which is just titled Hometown Haunts. We're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to see us while we're doing the show, you can watch the video feed on YouTube. Yeah. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities and please rate and review us there and wherever you listen so that other spooky history lovers just like yourself can find us. So some show news before we get into the urinal crisis. Uh, I will be at the 2022 Anime Central in Chicago, Illinois this upcoming May 20th through the 22nd. And I have copies of both the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities issues, one and two, and my brand new book, Witches and Sorcerers. So this will be out. Um, it just came hot off the presses like two days ago. So uh, I'll have all of that. And my booth is H05 in the Artist Alley. So it's right next to the vendor's room. So if you're just going from one room to the other, you'll see me. Everything is bright pink. And uh, just a note, masks are mandatory for ASEN as well as proof of vaccination or a recent negative COVID test to be able to get badges. So Christina, you have some news as well. Yes. Um... I, everybody knows one of my big passions is urban sketching, and I started the urban sketching chapter in Cincinnati, and now I am actually going to be coordinating social media for the urban sketchers around the world. So it's really exciting. I get to work with a team from Singapore, Hong Kong, London, um, and the U.S. You know, we've got people all over the world. They have, I think, 360 chapters. And it's really taught me a lot about social media, especially working with, you know, our comic book company, because there's a lot of social media with that. And it's an ever-evolving landscape, um, as everybody knows. We were just talking about new ones, um, you know, things like TikTok, which you use a lot, Kat. Do you like using TikTok? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, you get a younger audience with it, not to sound like a grandma with that statement, mm -hmm. but get a lot more engagement as well mm -hmm. because comics are such a visual medium. So it works well with making little movies. So I'm sure with the illustrators group, um, mm -hmm. you can also do similar stuff. Um, people really love on TikTok progress, like just watching hyper lapses of your work. So mm -hmm. I know with your watercolors, that would be really intriguing to watch. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things that's challenging with a comic company is like, how do you keep people aware of what you're doing when 
Facebook and Instagram actively suppress anything that you're trying to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a toughie. It is very tough. So. Yeah, and 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 all of them do. Uh, obviously, they're private entities, and so they mm-hmm. can do whatever they want. And so you kind of have to navigate figuring out what you're doing. But it's yeah. it's exciting, and I feel like I learn a lot and get to meet a lot of people. One thing that's exciting about the Urban Sketchers is I'm a travel addict, and I know we've all been wanting to travel for a long time. And um, you know, you can sketch anywhere you go in the world with mm-hmm. the chapter so it's really fun to meet the other artists and that kind of thing so that's my exciting news yeah though i will say word of mouth is always the best so mm-hmm. all of you wonderful listeners tell your friends mm-hmm. about this podcast exactly the good segue yes so we are just going to dive right into tonight's topic Your choice of words <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so tonight uh <laughs> The, sh- the sources for tonight's show are Cincinnati Magazine and, very greatly, historian and friend of the show, Greg Hand, and his Cincinnati Curiosities Tumblr blog, speaking about social media. So he has written wonderful, wonderful articles about these topics, plus so much more. And he's been on our show before a few, up- few months ago at this point. And please go visit his uh, Tumblr and just read the goodness that is strange curiosities from Cincinnati, but also the Cincinnati Inquirer. And there's a whole bunch of now defunct newspapers that get cited as well that the Inquirer has eaten. Um, so they're in the back catalog somewhere there. And Jen and Christina, I highly suggest staying unmuted because I want to hear your reactions to some of this really strange history. This is by far the weirdest article I've ever written. I thought the devil monkey was weird. No, no. Toilet history is weird. So, okay. We're starting around 1860. Cincinnati saw rampant population growth. It was already the seventh largest city in the nation with a population of 161,044 people. By 1870, just 10 years later, it had grown to 216,239 people or about a 34% increase. This was due to the economic opportunities in the Queen City and was able to offer the pop that the Queen City was able to offer the populace, such as manufacturing and shipping increase due to the city's location on the Ohio River, especially meatpacking. Hello, Porkopolis. The steamboat industry also grew, and because boats were both built and repaired here, and we've talked about that before in earlier episodes. That meant a lot of people had jobs that they can get. We also had a migration westward and northward of populations in America, which meant that there was an increased need for, well, the aforementioned steamboats, but also hotels and bars for all those people who were traveling. During the Civil War years, Cincinnati was a hub for the Union Army, a center for recruitment, organization, and training, not to mention support for all the soldiers' families, because some of the families did follow them around, and charities that followed the soldiers and their families around. They all established um, posts here in Cincinnati, so we got quite a few different people. Cincinnati also had a very diverse population by 1870, made up of frontier Americans, who are those who settled the area before the 1830s, German and Irish immigrants, and then also freedom African Americans who had moved north from the southern states after the Civil War. Because, yeah, everybody wants to get out of the south after that hot mess. Anyway, more than half the population were men, 
And they were men who peed everywhere and on everything. <clears throat> so. Gross. So gross. So I know a lot of those wonderful ink drawings of Cincinnati that you'll see in any of the newspapers or archives. And a thing that you need to remember is the entire city had canals and alleyways that weren't cleaned very often and all smelled like latrine and pork guts. So wonderful place. You can see why people moved up into the hills, but that created an issue too. So from the Cincinnati Commercial Tribune from April 20th, 1867, they have a small blurb that starts public urinals. These are also an indispensable want. Our alleys and byways have long enough been contaminated and rendered, rendered breeders of pestilence. This nuisance can be abated at small cost and should be attended to at once. <laughs> so the entire downtown area was just, it, it just smelled to high heaven. I can totally imagine it. Yeah. And oh, some of I, these small alleyways still exist. Yes, Jen. When I worked downtown, I could... You can tell when someone peed on the sidewalk, and it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, there's actually stairways. Like if you went into the old Skywalk, which they've torn most of that down, haven't they? Um, like mm -hmm. it smelled like pee. Oh yeah, yeah. New York subway. Hello. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, your nostrils are open. Then just think about that, but ten times worse. And now you're approaching the Cincinnati levels of stank. So I wonder our river caught on fire. Did our river catch on fire? <laughs> I thought oh, it was Cuyahoga. Yeah, me too. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was the Ohio River. It was some river that caught on fire. Well, or was like Cuyahoga in Cleveland did. Yeah. Rather I'm recently. Sorry, <laughs> anyway. <sorry. laughs> it was pretty polluted. Still yeah. was. It is polluted. Yeah. Cleveland also had the great balloon disaster of 1983. So <laughs> just great things. We love you, Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. Anyway. Councilman Hugh McBurney argued against adjourning city council until the problem of public urination had been resolved in 1867. He said to the city council, let's do all we can tonight. The alleys downtown were used as urinals and the bad smell created in that way caused most of the complaints around the city being dirty. So this man was very angry at how dirty the city was. McBurney requested that the mayor uh, get men and hoses and literally flush out the entire downtown area into the Ohio River. This is what this man wanted to do, which could have been possible because downtown did have a sewer system. It was a hot mess. We'll talk about it later. But water could get pumped into the downtown area. The previous year, in 1866, City Council had passed a resolution to install public urinals, but nothing had been done. The City Cincinnati Gazette from May 4th, May the 4th be with you, in 1866, wrote, Some months since Mr. John F. Wilsey secured the passage of a resolution in Council directing that public urinals be erected on 3rd Street at the junction of Bank Alley as an experiment to see what effect it would have on the immodest in, in in, in and offensive practices so common in such localities. We think it would be well for some member of council this affair to inquire who is at fault for not carrying the resolution into effect. 
conveniences of this kind are very much needed in all the central localities in the city. I love their angry speech. It's mm -hmm. so eloquent. <laughs> it's like, we need urinals now, guys. Now. <laughs> Yesterday. Uh, now, you may be wondering why there was such a hot drive for urinals on the public streets or flushable urinals at all. Although the concept of indoor flushing, flushable toilets was nothing new by 1870, because indoor toilets had been manufactured since the 1830s, there were lobbyists in Cincinnati who campaigned actively against indoor toilets. These people didn't want plumbing. Why? I know, right? Good questions. For example, here's an editorial from Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Commercial from July 15th, 1873, which is years after the previous quotes. We do not hesitate to say that in the state of plumbing, the average house in this city connection with the sewer would be disastrous. It was, it will be <clears throat> seen that our improvers not only demand a connection with the sewers in front of our houses, but require soil pipes to pass through the houses, conditions condemned by every respectable medical attorney on earth. And that would make Cincinnati one of the most unhealthy instead of one of the healthiest cities in the world. Wow. 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 Very yeah. Wrong. <laughs> they were very wrong. Very, very wrong. We like cholera so much better. Oh, yeah. Did we, is it? Isn't that why we don't have canals anymore? Because it of the is. It is. Okay. It is. It's one of them. And people were peeing in the canals. It's a big and, toilet. And other things. The <laughs> yeah. For more than 40 years, there was a campaign against modern indoor flushable toilets in Cincinnati because going in an outhouse was seen as healthier than indoor plumbing. The reality was that connecting each house to the sewer system would be costly, and they didn't want to pay for it. There was, they also had a source of water to, there also needed to be a source of water to flush, and reliable citywide water did not exist unless you were downtown. Downtown had access to running water, but the hilltop neighborhoods did not. You had to use a water barrel to get your water or use a cistern. Cincinnati's sewer system was a disaster at the time, and there was no reliable system for toilets to flush into. <laughs> Finally, what did flush out of the sewer from the city, especially on the east end, flushed into the Ohio River, and then basically went directly into the city waterworks. No! <laughs> yep. Because they didn't pay attention to where the out exit was for all the water and where the intake valves were for all the water. Just put it in the, the rivers and the oceans. Mm -hmm. It'll take care of it. Oh yeah, it'll just be fine. <laughs> How we all don't have three arms and six ears, I don't know. How did we survive? <laughs> A lot of well, people didn't, let's be honest. Well, you know, it's it, and, and I know there, there's still a lot to go on, on this, but actually Cincinnati still has sewer problems. I mean, that's what our friend of the show, Jay, has written about for years yeah. in his Mest comic is the sewers. Like a lot of them are very old. I think they said in Marimont, it all needs to be replaced. But of course you have this argument because it's going to cost so much money. Our house actually was on septic until like 
15 years ago we were in a we're 10 minutes from downtown cincinnati and our house was a little oh not i would say opposite of oasis of houses that never got to go onto the sewer line and so all even though we had a leach field is that leach field all of our there was a new Dries development that of course was just built behind our house and all our sewage was going into their backyard and strangely the people that lived there didn't like it yeah huh. And yeah. so finally, we're now on city sewer. But when we bought our house, our house information lied and said we were when we weren't. Hmm. Oh, they actually said we could have sewer. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, Hyde Park, Oakley, and Mount Lookout neighborhoods. Every time there's massive rain, there the sewer backs up into the basements. So it's highly advised that you don't finish your basements in those neighborhoods. It, it it's gross it's happened to a friend of mine anyway oh uh, let's Back see to where the past. yeah <laughs> so this led to many of the issues that the city was seeing in the late 1860s and 1870s and the variety of illnesses that also plagued the city which we've mentioned a little bit germ theory was still not widely understood at the time even by doctors instead many believed that illnesses were caused by miasma or unhealthy smells and vapors. So they did not understand that malaria, cholera, dengue fever, the, the numerous different illnesses that could kill somebody was because of people just defecating wherever they wanted in the alleys. They were unclean. They were very unclean. So it's not even Wild West. This is just grungy Cincinnati. Anyway. So there were a few different plumbing inventions that were available for people to use in their homes since about since about the 1830s, as I mentioned earlier, but definitely in the 1850s, they were being advertised here. So one of the most fun that I found was the swing urinal. Doesn't that sound like fun? Intended for use in the bedroom beneath a washstand uh, where it would remain out of sight until you needed to use it. So you would basically either have a sink if you were in town, or you would have your um, wash stand that usually would have your chamber pot, pot. This thing would swing from underneath and then you could use it like a chamber pot, but it had a push button valve so you could flush it. So you'd have to take the water from your wash stand, put it in and then flush it. Kind of like an airplane toilet. Except for it wouldn't be going into a sewer. It would be going into a cistern that you would dump into your outhouse. Or the privy shafts as we talked about with our friend. Yes. (laughs) There's too many unnecessary steps there. Also, you couldn't put any weight on it or you would have a mess. Because it would fall off and take your washstand with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was marketed for women and men, but mostly women. Another thing that was marketed for women were chair urinals. So think of, this was for the ladies. It was marketed specifically for the ladies. And these were chairs with a urinal attached to the bottom, similar to a potty chair that had a chamber pot slid underneath. So it would be the same mechanism. So very fancy toilet chair in the Gilded Age. Once Um, indoor plumbing became much more popular you still had chair urinals and chair water closets which in old vernacular 1830s 
British vernacular, a water closet was a word for a toilet. And it would basically be one of these things that you would dump water in and then flush. So if you didn't like either one of those options, there was earth closets. Would you like an earth closet? It's also known as a compostable toilet. They function like a cat's litter box, only for humans. An advertisement in June of 1874 reads, The greatest blessing of the 19th century. Fast superseding the water closet. It can be used in any sleeping room without a fence. However, the closets, the earth closets, needed a constant source of fresh shift, shifted dirt to keep the offense from offending your nostrils yeah I'm, I'm imagining all kinds of smells i mean the cat box is bad enough but like i can't you know in the old days when they had chamber pots and 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 you know fans <laughs> just thinking oh my gosh that's probably why people thought the outhouse was a better option well yeah <laughs> august in cincinnati the humidity oh the human litter boxes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no vents Oh, that sounds disgusting. Sounds so wholesome. Everybody oh. always wants to go back to the past. Really. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it's so great. So I can great. just imagine all our listeners are wincing now. You know what? It was fine for men because they could pee anywhere. Mm -hmm. And they but did. But it's still a problem. <laughs> yeah, they, did. they still do. And, and they, they probably were it. dehydrated, which just makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Also to note, toilet paper as we know today, wasn't made until 1890. And not by the local company known as Procter & Gamble. Instead, toilet paper was originally made in sheets by the Scott Paper Company in 1879, which later turned into rolls in 1890. P&G didn't start making Charmin until 1928. Wow. Yeah. Didn't they use corn cobs? Isn't that something that was used before? There was like all sorts of stuff. That there was, was a few notes um, about that. Generally, books or magazines were used. And there would be advertisements um, in new local newspapers saying, beware of using particular periodicals because the ink could be toxic and you're rubbing it on your nether regions. <sighs> so it'd be like, hey, maybe not use the Cincinnati Inquirer in your water closet because we may poison you. No comment. No comment. Ooh -ha. <laughs> so, well, I mean, just look at newspaper. It, how about we blame the Cincinnati Post or the Gazette? We got to pick. Well, you know, the Gazette was gone. Yeah, Gazette's, Gazette left earlier, so maybe we could do the Gazette. Yeah, Who's we'll go with the Gazette. So don't use the Cincinnati Gazette. It may poison your hoo-ha. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, they do have ink that does not rub off, but it was too expensive to use, and that's why it's not used. So mm. that's why the ink still comes off on your hands. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So back to our urinals crisis. In mid-1967, the first public urinal was installed in Cincinnati after lobbying by its inventor, and you'll love this name, Samuel Males. <laughs> Mr. Males was originally a cider merchant, and he was an inventor on the side, and he created many, many, many different patents for something he called a pisseur. <laughs> Yes, P-I-S-S, -S, 
O I R Pisor. Anyway, um, so it was his. Are you okay, Jen? Okay, sorry. Mr. Bands invented the pisor. <laughs> sorry. I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. Because... You broke Jen. <laughs> Cincinnati history broke Jen. <laughs> I just found it. I'm just reporting on it. In 1870, he invented the pisor that was fit for female use, although all of Cincinnati's urinals that had been uh, fitted into the Cincinnati downtown area were meant for male use only. Between 1867 to about 1871, 65 public urinals were installed around downtown, but health officer William Clendenin asked for more. He's like, more urinals, please! (laughs) So, the Inquirer reported on May 24th, 1871, that Mr. J.C. Fidelday, a chairman of the Committee on Public Urinals, yes, there was one, reported that out of 65 urinals put up around the city, 63 had been examined. 27 of these had good condition. 25 of these were in tolerably good condition. 11 decidedly bad and new... new- we're sorry it sounds like a math problem oh we're new we're problems basically and moved that the number of urinals be further increased new ones should be placed at the corner of every alley where a sewer was located of course there were problems with these public urinals they were installed on sewer lines so they did have a source of water however they often leaked into the neighboring buildings often apartments or stores, and did not always flush properly, which would mean that the contents would spill and leak and create puddles into the alleys, which they were trying to prevent from doing in the first place. Just more concentrated. Yeah. Can you imagine having a dry goods store and just seeing this ever-growing leak on your wall? No. Ah, yeah. So, up until the mid-1880s, public urinals were a common issue with the city. Just city council just constantly had issues with them. Property owners complained about the damages from the urinals. The budget hawks complained about the cost to maintain all the urinals. They're like, these urinals are too dang high. We need to cut back on the urinals. And apparently there was only one guy to maintain all of them in the city and he was prone to slack off, which caused lots of complaints as well. And the public urinals just weren't very clean. And when there was an outbreak of cholera and smallpox, 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 wrong, wrong place. Anyway, newspapers insinuated that the source were these unsanitary urinals. In time, these urinals were dismantled and turned into public comfort stations which anyone was able to use. They had urinals and toilet facilities for both men, women, and maybe children if you were brave. And for those who were curious, the Cincinnati sewage system saw an overhaul between 1897 until the mid-1940s. So the next time you use your loo, you know that there is a lot of history and lobbying to make it work 
in your home without flooding it with poo. Oh, that was poetic. I know. I, <laughs> I have to say, you know, um, we got a bidet at, at Christmas this year, and I wish we'd done it years earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're nice. We should follow what the Japanese do and get the high-tech toilets. Well, they're great until you don't know which button to push and you spray the bidet in your face. Ew! Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, that, it's just going to be regular water. It's not yeah, but ew! I, it just... Mm -mm. Speak from experience. <laughs> anyway, so we have a hometown haunt tonight. Yes. So this is from Anonymous. Who would like to read it? Um, Jen, you want to read it? Sure. I can compose myself. We will let you have a second to compose yourself. And then, and, and we might want to do a, a story on this place later, actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. Our friends owned what used to be a Baptist seminary in Covington. They did extensive renovations and used it as an Airbnb, then rental units. Several people have seen a woman in, in a white hoop skirt in the building. Linda's granddaughter saw her twice. Son Todd was working with a plumber one day and they both saw her. The plumber refused to return to the job. <laughs> LOL. Uh, all this came out over a lot of drinks. They have sold the property. Maybe it could be a place to visit for the show. Yes. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. And I like the hoop skirt point. That helps really nail down exactly where in time this ghost is from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's... I. One, I love how this ties to today's topic because a plumber was involved. Yes, I know. That was serendipitous. Yeah. And this is a pretty common type of haunting around here. Just having one soul bopping around your house. Huh. It'd be fun to visit if they would let us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the person that gave us this said that we might be able to talk to the new owners and maybe do an investigation there and see if they'd be cool about it. Oh, nice. um, you know, I don't know how Airbnbs feel. Well, I don't know if it's Airbnb or just a regular B&B, but I don't know if they, I mean, sometimes ghosts bring people or sometimes they scare them away. I mean, what's your experience, Kat? Oh, marketing. They, they bring people, ghosts bring yeah. people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's, Especially now. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely... If you can have a haunted B&B, &B, people like me are going to rent the rooms. So um, what is, what is, is it, you said it's usual for there to be one person. Is it just there's one ghost that's more interested in being seen or is it, it beyond what people that are not sensitive can see or what is your, uh, no, no, what is your just, hypothesis? Well, it's just a haunted B&B. &B, so somebody mm -hmm. clearly is attached to the location and just really has never left. A lot of older homes that don't see a whole, like, a whole lot of transition between owners. They can build a rapport with families that are currently living there. Mm -hmm. And like Riders Inn up in Painesville, Ohio, you can have a ghost that basically warns people of when something goes amok or awry. So, mm -hmm. like, in their case, their their boiler burst, and Suzanne, who's the ghost, their resident ghost, um, let the owner know by lighting candles around the building, which is a big no-no because the building was built in 1814. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it has a lumber structure. And so the owner was just like, oh, something's wrong. And she followed the candles to extinguish them and found their basement flooding. 
Oh, wow. And then another time, Suzanne appeared before two police officers. She would open the do front door of Riders Inn. And she was in a nightgown. And she did this around 2 or 3 a.m. And the police happened to be driving by and noticed her just standing in the doorway. So they came to investigate. And there was another problem with, I think, their furnace that time. So it, Suzanne does a lot to protect the property. It could be something similar to that. And the hoop skirt's interesting because that gives us a mid-1800s time period you're looking at from like maybe 1840 to about 1870 before they became discontinued in fashion. So that's... Did they have hoop skirts in the 50s? Well, okay, that's true. Uh, they had poodle skirts in the 50s. Skirts. Okay. But the hoop skirts were going to be those large uh, antebellum type dresses you've seen from Gone with the Wind. Those were accomplished with hoops mm -hmm. and um, stays and corsets. So, um, and I'm a bit of a fashion lover. So hoop skirts were only around for maybe 40 years before people ditched them because they were a pain. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to use a chamber part with one of those? No. You always say, I mean, they're really, the dresses with hoop skirts are really pretty. I mean, you always saw them in like uh, the old movies, like you were just describing and mm -hmm. like steampunk always shows the hoop skirts because yes. they're cool, but yeah, they, oh. they probably weren't pleasant. They are not pleasant <laughs> because it's not just the hoop skirt. It's all the underclothes that mm -hmm. you have to deal with it. They were hot. And, um, <laughs> and this was also the time when clothes were dyed with arsenic to make green. And it was a real status symbol to have green on your clothing or on your wallpaper and women died of arsenic poisoning because of that. So, um, like the radium girls. Yes, very yeah. similar. There's a really good book that I think it's called Fashion That Kills that talks about the history of um, poor choices in fashion history. Well, it's still happening. I just watched that documentary on HBO about makeup, and, and they said the talc is very dangerous and it's still in everything. Yes. Yes. You have to watch. <laughs> that a recent? That's uh, a more recent thing. Though? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was um, just saying it's still happening. Yeah, it does. It's still happens. Um, there's yeah. a few makeup brands that are safe mm -hmm. and it's definitely when you become pregnant, you become, you're warned, at least I was by my doctor to double check makeup because there's talc in a lot of face powders. Hmm. And then there's also lead in a lot of red lipstick. So oh, you, <laughs> yeah. So there's a few good brands though, that are made with better ingredients. You won't get the same pop, but you also won't die of cancer die, or yeah. lead poisoning. So. There is that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Well, anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. Red all the way around is a bad poisonous color. Yes. They also <laughs> crush beetles to make the color. So huh? They crush beetles to make the color. Yes. I, I, I've heard enough. that with food coloring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. wow. We got so many facts everywhere. Just... Coming I know, at this you. has been, been a really interesting show. Short, but interesting. Yeah, short, but interesting. So please, listeners, send us your feedback. How did you like this show? Did <laughs> did you like our toilet history? <laughs> I, I will find a more interesting history like this if people like it. So you can find us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And of course, we're dying to hear from you. So please send in your hometown haunts to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. For Christina and Jen, good night. And myself, good night and stay spooky. Bye. Bye. -bye.